Welcome to the Bible for Kids podcast with your hosts, best-selling children's author Amy Parker and author and co-creator of VeggieTales, Mike Naraki. If instilling biblical values in kids is important to you, this podcast will help give you the resources, wisdom, and hope to do just that. Now let's join our hosts, Amy and Mike, for this week's episode. Welcome to the Bible for Kids podcast. I'm Mike Naraki. And I'm Amy Parker. And today we are thrilled to have Andrew Peterson with us. He's a musician, singer, songwriter, storyteller, novel writer, and I know this from personal experience, a beekeeper, Andrew. <laughs> and it's so it's so good to have you today on the Bees for Kids podcast. <laughs> wait, 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 what? Bees for Kids, yeah, yeah. So actually, no, there's so many things we could talk about with you today, um, and we'll get into a bit of a lot of those things, but mostly we're here to talk about your Wing Feather Saga books. Uh, but before we get started, uh, we like to start every Bible for Kids podcast with a Bible verse. So, Amy, take it away. Today's verse is from Revelation 21, 3 through 5, from the English Standard Version. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And uh, Andrew, I know those are uh, th- that verse or that that passage is part of the the wing feather saga near the end. Yeah. Um, so, um, uh, well, welcome, welcome to the Bible for Kids podcast. Thank you. It's so good to have you here. Um, and uh, uh, just as a, a little background, um, you and I met a number of years ago. Um, uh, I was camped out in in Canada working on the Pirates Who Don't Do Anything movie, and uh, and uh, while the team back home was working on uh, a VeggieTales DVD, I believe the wonder uh, the wonderful Wizard of Oz, and uh, you and Randall Goodgame uh, stepped in to uh, offer up the now classic silly song Monkey. <laughs> so and we've talked to her, and 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 uh, Randall's been on the on the show before, and we've we've sang a few bars of that. <laughs> so, but I still I you know it's still one of my favorite silly songs. And um, over the next couple of years, you guys worked on another. Uh, uh, um, you know, a couple silly songs for us. Uh, but, you know, as I mentioned in the header, one of the clearest memories I have uh, of you is is coming to the office to pick up a box of bees from Chris Wall. <laughs> what? <laughs> so, oh, yeah. so funny. I forgot all about that. Um, yeah, I had ordered the bees. Uh-huh. It was my first time ever ordering bees. Okay, like I, okay, I, yeah. That was years ago. Where so, yeah. does one order bees? Well, there are places. So I <laughs> I called I know a, a guy. friend of mine who, like, I think most people who get into beekeeping get into it because they meet a guy. Yeah, yeah, right? I know a guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you're <laughs> yeah. like, you do this? How do you do this? And the next you thing pay, you, you paint know, houses, you, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you collect bees. And so I, and so my buddy was like, I'll, I'll make a call, here's the, or whatever, here's the number to order your, your bees. So it's this, like, box that's like the size of, I don't know, um, a loaf of bread, a little bigger maybe, mm-hmm. and it's got a few thousand bees in it with a queen, and it's like a uh, screen, like a screen door screen, so you can see the bees inside there and hear them, and if you hold it up next to your face, you can feel the wind of their wings, you know? Yeah. And so, uh, anyway, I didn't know any of this. All I knew was that I was supposed to, like, there's, because of the, the, the bees are only ready at a certain time of the season, you don't know the date, 
and okay. you just know that you're going to get a call, meet in the Walmart parking lot <laughs> okay. at this like time. Like a thief in the night. <laughs> and the, there's going to be a guy in a pickup with a bunch of boxes of bees in the back of his truck, and that's when you'll pick up your bees. And so the, I got the call the day that I was leaving town. So I oh, called Chris Wall, who's yeah. a VeggieTales producer who yeah, we've yeah. been working with, yeah. now dear friend, and I said, this is crazy, but I need you to go to the Walmart parking lot <laughs> and pick up the bees. And he brought him to work with him, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So we had him there for a while. That and, and, so that, that, and that was the first time I had ever experienced a bee box. I suppose if you are a beekeeper, it's kind of business as usual. But, it, it's yeah. always, I think if you're a beekeeper, it's uh, it's always fascinating. Like yeah. typically people who get into it, get into it because it's just this mind blowing um, hobby. Yeah. So it's never ho-hum. It's yeah. always, it's yeah. always uh Amazing. Buzz, buzz. Yo, <laughs> somebody was going to say it. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so, Andrew, we love to ask our guests how they got started and when they sensed their first call to be a musician or author or beekeeper. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your origin story as an artist. What interested you as a kid? What came to you first, story or music? Or were they intertwined? Uh, so I was a, I was a pastor's kid um, and so grew up in a home mostly in Florida, North Florida, um, which I lovingly refer to as redneck Florida. So it's not, not, you know, it's not the beach or Orlando. It was like, you know, a Southern culture, which was great if you wanted to grow up telling stories for a living. Um, And so my dad, uh, you know, has a thick Southern accent and it was a very rural community. So I kind of grew up around that. But, but the, the, the beautiful thing was that um, my parents um, valued art and, and literature so like on the shelves at home next to you know Barclay's commentaries or whatever mm-hmm. there was also Moby Dick and Lord of the Rings and and uh, all kinds of uh you know um big sweeping classics the Narnia books were in there mm-hmm. so I kind of grew up just assuming that that stories mattered yeah. um and I was the only musician in my family um and so it wasn't until I guess in high school um I I shifted from wanting to draw comics for a living or write fantasy novels for a living to uh, wanting to be in a rock band because it was easier to impress girls. So, um, girls so that, always seem to be the motivator. Yes, they, they are. Yeah. And so, yeah, anyway. here, It's either here, check out these Lord of the Rings books on my shelf or, or this little tune that I worked up. Or this, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, and it, it works just for the record if you're listening at home. Um, but no, that, so that, that was always kind of in the swirling around you know in the pot but it wasn't until I was about 18 or 19 when I when I went from being what I would call a believer in God but a nominal Christian like I didn't really understand who Jesus was um, or what grace was or what the gospel was really about until I heard the music of Rich Mullins and Mm -hmm. that was like the doorway through Mm -hmm. which I encountered um, grace yeah and so that changed everything so I went from from wanting to having like some pretty um, sullied motives for why I wanted to make my art <laughs> yeah. to suddenly having a story that I really wanted other people to know. And so um, I, w- I remember asking God, if you'll let me write stories about you or, or write stories or songs that will waken people the yeah. same thing that these other stories have woken in me, yeah. um, that's what I want to do. Yeah, and you know, I had here as my next question to ask you about your your love of story and, and intersection with your faith, and you know, you basically just talked about that. I saw when Amy read the um, the the scripture verse from Revelation, I saw how 
emotional. We, we kind of rolled right past it, but that really touched yeah. you. And it was re- really neat to see your, your heart for that. And, and I, you know, I read that you from a, a young age uh, began to realize that the Bible was one big unified story that, that Jesus was the center of. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and I think, you know, some of us get there later in life, you know, to say, hey, wait a minute, this is all connected. But that was something that you kind of saw maybe through Rich, you know, through the music of Rich. And how, yeah. how, how did that whole thing start to take I mean, shape it, for you? Well, it was, it was, Rich was, it was interesting. Like his music was the thing that kind of like helped me believe that it was, that, that God loved me. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't ever remember not thinking that he was there. Yeah. I remember it just made too much sense to me that there was some source of, yeah. of all the beauty that I yeah. saw around me. Yeah. Um, but then that led me to Bible college and it was in Bible college that my old Testament professor did a really good job of pointing out the centrality of Christ to this, the old Testament too. Yeah. 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 And that was just, it rang all my bells, you yeah, know, yeah, like yeah. to get, to be a, a fantasy novel reading kid who is yeah. way into prophecy. Like, but you know, every good story has like, a prophecy from old, you know, about the, did you, did you read the, the, the warrior that's going to slay the dragon? I was going to, I had to ask you, did you read the Sword of Shinara series? Oh, was that totally. Oh, yeah, I was yes. totally into that, too. Yeah, into yeah, 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 yeah. Dragonlance right books, yeah, oh, yeah, all yeah, of yeah, that yeah. stuff. Dune. And, <laughs> totally. Yeah. And so, but there's, you know, there's all of the things that I, I, what I realized in Bible college was that the things that I was, that made my heart flutter when I read those stories, yeah. which was the epic quest, you know, yeah. the good conquering this massive tidal wave of evil yeah. with an act of grace or yeah. or uh, some small twit, like in the Lord of the Rings, you know. Yeah. And so it was all of that was actually in the Bible all along. Yeah. Like, and yeah. It, it was woven into creation itself. So the yeah. fact that certain kind of novels, whether you're talking about Harry Potter or the Lord of the Rings or Narnia or... Uh, you know, grapes of wrath, like yeah. the things that are resonating in our hearts. I think they're resonating because they're true right. and they're part right. of the DNA of, of all of creation. And so Jesus is kind of like smuggling his truth into our hearts all the time right? and <laughs> yeah, yeah. through those kinds of stories. And so, and, and the Bible was the what reading that through that lens made me go, Oh my goodness, God, the great storyteller has been, been doing this all along. That's awesome. And, and tell us a little bit about your music. Like, when did you pick up your first instrument? When did you move to Nashville? And when did you figure out, I'm a professional musician? <laughs> when you well, got your first I, check? I, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I was, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, it was sometime in high school that I started playing piano and guitar. Um, but I moved to Nashville half uh, at the end of Bible college. Uh, I was, I got married in college. And so um, I had been testing the waters in college to try to see if, Concerts would work. Um, I was just talking to my daughter last night about how bad my first concerts were. Um, <laughs> I didn't have enough of my own songs, so I filled in the blanks with Rich Mullins songs and Susan Ashton songs and uh, S- Stephen Curtis Chapman songs, that kind of thing. Um, and they were just—I was so audacious. I just thought I was—you know—you th- you have to have a little bit of audacity. Yes. And it's not until yeah. you you get a little older and you look back and, <laughs> and, and you, you realize, cringe. Yeah, you realize yeah, yeah, yeah. how merciful people were. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. well, you want to yeah. get, you want to get started before your, your tastes, uh, overcome your actual abilities, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, totally, totally, yeah, Cause yeah. if you get, if you get too older, your tastes improve and you're just like, wait a minute, I'm not any good. So I shouldn't That's even so try. True. Oh man. It's so true. And so, yeah, it was, it was like after college, I moved to Nashville and, um, got, uh, a record deal about a year after that and um, have been doing it for, I guess now 20, I mean, music, I've been paid to play music for about 25 years, I yeah, guess. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. Well, before we go to break and, and, and return to talk about your Wing Feather series, um, 
for our listeners who may not be familiar with the story, show, and concert, can you talk just a little bit about Behold the Lamb of God um, yeah. now, now that it's in its 20th year, I guess? Yeah. Um, so Behold the Lamb of God is a song cycle that, that begins in the Old Testament and, and tells the story of the incarnation of Jesus. And it just happens to be the Christmas story. So there's no, um, not, no standards that we sing in the show. It's, it's just a, more of a narrative concert um, that is a community of people who have all been changed by this story that come together every year to, to do this thing. And so, like you said, it started 20 years ago. And this past year, we just we had the, the biggest like celebration in the studio and re-recorded the whole thing. And, um, and it's been really fun. Churches around the country performing at their own churches and, and, uh, and it's become like a part of the, like the liturgy of my year yeah, in a way that is like a, a compass reset. It's really, really good. And it is really amazing. And you perform every year at the Ryman. Is that right? Yeah. We Here do a Nashville. couple of shows at the Ryman. Every yeah, year. yeah. Yeah. And I know, is, yeah. And I know you, you, you typically will do a warm up at Christ community as yeah. well. Yeah. 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 Have you been is, to that? Yeah, have I have. I have. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just amazing. I haven't, I have not got the chance to go out to see it at the Ryman, which I need to do that. Yes. Cause you so. live in Franklin, right? And yeah, exactly. It's like a whole 30 <laughs> it's minutes all away. The natural. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, all right, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back with Andrew Peterson on the Bible for kids podcast. The quiet, crazy Easter day. Here's some fun for the little ones. Have you ever thought that maybe the first Easter wasn't so quiet and peaceful? The Quiet Crazy Easter Day by Jill Roman Lord imagines the crazy celebration that might have occurred when Jesus arose. A festive day filled with chirps and croaks, shouts and coos and loop-de-doos. Grab your little ones and learn how you too can shout and sing and spread the news that Jesus is alive. Available everywhere books are sold. The Way to the Savior. The Way to the Savior by Jeff and Abby Land is a great way to celebrate the Easter season as a family. Explore eight aspects of Easter. Forgiveness, hope, trust, thanksgiving, love, commitment, obedience, and Jesus' last days. This collection of 40 devotions leading up to Easter contains great discussion questions, prayers, and fun activities your family will enjoy revisiting year after year. Available everywhere books are sold. Mike Naraki, co-creator of VeggieTales, is back. In his hilarious new chapter book series, 10-year-old Michael and his friend Justin sneak into the Dead Sea Caves near the archaeological dig where Michael's dad is working. Michael finds a couple of 2,000-year-old squirrels petrified in sea salt. Hijinks ensue as Michael tries to bring them back to the U.S., hidden in his backpack. What Michael thinks are just cool souvenirs may turn out to be something much more. The Dead Sea Squirrel series is humorous, fun, and filled with character-building lessons. As co-creator of VeggieTales, co-founder of Big Idea Entertainment, and the voice of the beloved Larry the Cucumber, Mike Naraki has been dedicated to helping parents pass on biblical values to their kids through storytelling for over two decades. To find your own Dead Sea Squirrels, head over to Tyndale.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookstore. We're back on the Bible for Kids podcast with Andrew Peterson. So let's talk about books. You have authored a wonderful children's series titled The Wing Feather Saga. Um, where did the idea for these books come from? And what's the main theme at the heart of the series? 
I have still, it's been 10 years and I still have a hard time figuring out how to do the elevator pitch for these books. Yes, I, I can relate. You know what I'm talking about. It's so hard to boil it all down because the whole, the point was I wanted to write an, an epic fantasy. I wanted to write a big story. Mm-hmm. Uh, one that maybe felt like it was, I don't know if you, you guys read Harry Potter, but the first book, it was like, oh, that's kind of a nice story. And then by like book three, you realize she's doing something really grand here. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and it ends up being this very Christian, uh, themed story. Um, and so I, I kind of, uh, I read the Narnia books to my, my boys. I loved those when I was a kid and wept my way through them as an as a grown up reading yeah. them to my kids which i think is the best way to experience it. Oh, those i loved stories. it. I read them both to my daughter and then to my son all the way through with oh. both of them. It was amazing. I'm i yeah, it's just the and i think that you're getting more out of it in that setting than the kids are. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And so like the, the i think feel like those there's something about the read aloud that mm-hmm. that you know, it hits on so many levels because the parent is experiencing it. Yes. But the your experience it experiencing it differently as a as a reader to kids because you're seeing it more through their eyes right because you're trying to communicate it to them right so there's a childlikeness to your heart when you're reading to your children yeah yeah and so uh i wanted to write an epic fantasy that would be read aloud by families and so i made the chapters really short because Mm -hmm. if you've read aloud to your kids like even the (laughs) narnia books i can be like when is this chapter ending oh oh, i read i read lord of the rings all the way through all the way through out loud to my son yeah including all the little songs you know in there and trying to figure out all the little yes that's impressive Um, but those are long chapters and thank goodness he has the little line breaks in his chapters you know yeah uh, yeah you can break it up but like i i just wanted to make it as easy as possible for a family to go on this journey and Mm -hmm. so um, yeah. So I, every time I meet a family who's read the books, I always ask, did your dad do good voices? <laughs> um, and so I, uh, I worked hard on, you know, the, my Irish accent and my English accent, you know, mm-hmm. for the, for the read aloud when I was reading it to my kids. Anyway. Yeah. It's a big story about three kids who are three siblings who, who, um, are growing up in a, in a world that is occupied by these creatures called the fangs of dang, which like you kind of imagine Nazi Germany. It's like they're living in this town but there's this occupying force and, uh, and the, the fangs, um, all they know about the bad guy is that, um, they've invaded their country to try to find this mysterious thing called, uh, things called the jewels of an era. And, uh, nobody knows for sure what they are. Um, and then, um, over the course of the first book, the kids discover that, um, they are at the heart of this great mystery in a way that I'm not going to spoil for you. <laughs> and that, that basically means that the entire world is out to get them. And so yeah. they're on this grand big adventure to try to not only survive, but also, um, um, it's, it's going to end up changing the world itself. Yeah. And so that's, it's kind of like I said, it's hard to explain, but one of the most enjoyable parts of these books is, was writing, realizing as I was writing it, because it's fantasy, you get to make all the rules. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, so yeah. you get to like um in a very like image of God kind of way, you get to like speak the creatures into being and yeah. decide where the waters are gonna go to and where the rivers are. So I, I kind of like nerded out about the world building process. Yeah. And filled the the thing with these creatures. And the, the I thought it would be funny early on if the if the scariest monster in the forest was a, a fanged cow, <laughs> a, car, a carnivorous cow called the, they call them the toothy cows. And so, uh, anyway, so that's kind of like gives you a little hint at the, the whimsy that's in the stories, but yeah. also underlying all that, there's this big grand sweeping tale. 
So uh, going back to when you first, when did you first start writing? And there's four books uh, mm-hmm. in the series, is that right? When did you first start writing, and then how long did the process take? Yeah. So the f- because uh, because my full time job at the time, especially, was music. Mm-hmm. It was I had to like find a way to write book one um, mm-hmm. in between. So I remember that it was when Lost was on. Yeah. And my wife and I were watching Lost. Yeah. Like, and it was really fun before yeah. it ended and we realized that the ending was going to ruin everything. Oh, oh yeah. But, it was so terrible. Um, I hated the ending. Yeah, it was so bad. But but, but at the time, alert. it was really fun. <laughs> um, and uh, and I remember having a conversation with Jamie. I was so sick of myself. Like, um, so sick of not actually writing the book that I always wanted to write. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... I, and if you guys have written, you know that this, that like you just have to, when people tell me that they want to write, but they just can't find, find the time, yeah. I always ask them, well, then you're, what do you need to give up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In yeah. order to make the room to do it, because it's right. not going to come unless you sacrifice for it. Right. And I think people yeah. have a, this idea that sort of the ideas are going to come, come together in their head, maybe in yeah. their free time. And then writing is just going to be simply the transcribing it on yes. paper and that's yeah, nothing could be further from the truth. Exactly. It's like the process of, of starting to put words down yep. is actually yep. you know, inspiration so comes along the way. Yeah. 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 Um, which is never, I always have to, to re relearn that. Yeah. 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 I'm working yeah. on a new book right now and I'm, I'm in that place where I'm like, what happens next? I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Do I need to think more about it? And the answer is no, I just need to sit down and start writing. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So anyway, so I remember giving up lost. That was what it was. I told Jamie, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to stop watching like this time at night that we're using. I'm going to yeah. use that hour to work on my novel. Okay. And it took about five years um, wow. between the beginning, between drawing the first map to seeing it on the shelf at Barnes and Noble. It was wow. about five years. Which lost ran for what? Six seasons. Is that I right? think so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, so did you binge it at the end then? Did yeah. You? I don't remember how it all went down. I just remember, I do remember thinking after I saw the end of lost, um, praying literally, God, don't let the end of the, the wing feather saga be as disappointing. As Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's awesome. You know, it's so funny because I have friends who uh, swear that it was like such a brilliant ending. I'm like, did we watch the same yeah, show? Man. Yeah, no. I just, I don't get it. <laughs> we need to start another podcast about that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the Lost Podcast. Yeah. yeah. Um, so one of the big stories to come out of your series is the Kickstarter campaign that you all did that raised over a quarter million dollars to do a proof of concept animated piece. Um, when did you decide that these books should come to life on the screen? Oh, man. The, uh, from the very beginning? I, not from the very beginning. It was after they were done. And and I started whenever I do school visits or mm-hmm. get emails from kids um, or almost when I do concerts, you know, if there's a signing table, um, kids will come up to the table with this beat up copy of the Wing, the wing Feather Saga. <laughs> um, and the, I got so many questions about when when are you going to make a movie? Yeah, and uh, and I'm not a purist in the sense that it's like it needs to only exist as literature, <laughs> um, because I love movies. Like yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I'm a, I, I really love um, that kind of storytelling. It's very different, yeah. but it was easy for me to kind of go. Uh, I, I was resistant to the idea until my kids got into Avatar: The Last Airbender. Okay, I don't know if you saw that, but it yeah, was my this son was into animated that animated show. Yeah, yeah, but it was this big epic thing. I yeah, haven't yeah. watched it all, but they swore to me they're, they're, uh-huh. it's so good. It's this yeah. big story. Yeah, and and so I, you know, I can't stand when you go to a, a the movies and you see that they cram this huge story into a two hour film. Right. But TV series change everything, right? Oh yeah, yeah. And so absolutely. I was like, oh man, this could be a way to do it. So that was the yeah. initial idea: was what if we could raise the money to to make a proof of concept. Yeah. To then go to Netflix and 
Amazon or whoever and say, Hey, can we make a series? Yeah. It would be, you know, four or five seasons long that would tell the whole story. Right. Um, and so that was the beginning of the idea. And the and to my great astonishment, the the readers got really excited about it. So we were able to raise a quarter of a million dollars to make a this uh movies are expensive, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> As yeah. you know, Mike. Yeah, especially the animated ones, Man, right? Yeah. yeah. And so we we were able to make you can watch it on YouTube and Amazon. It's free. And uh and we're still fighting the battle to, to, to turn it into something. It just takes a long time. Well, and I love the animation style. And, um, you know, we had talked about some of the folks that, you know, we both worked with, you know, yeah. uh, in the past and super, super talented people. And it's kind of like a hybrid 2D, 3D. I don't know. Did you see Klaus? Did you see oh, that? Oh, it was yeah, yeah. so good, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. I, I was watching Klaus. It was the animated uh, film that Netflix put out on Christmas, the kind of an origin story of Santa Claus last last year. And just a really, really cool animation yeah. style. And I'm thinking, okay, that reminds me a little bit of what you're yeah, all going yeah, for yeah. with Wing Feather. And the Spider-Verse, the, the new yeah, Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where it was like the frame rate wasn't super smooth. It was right. a little bit um, choppy. Um, yeah. th- so th- we had we were there first, y'all. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we really did kind of sit down with and go, um, you know, part of it was budgetary. Part mm-hmm. of it was like, it was like, how do we make it look beautiful for... And since we know we're not Pixar, yeah, like I just kind of hate that idea of of trying to make something, pretending like you you have the budget that you don't really have. Yeah, yeah, you need As to you be know. at the scale where you are. Yeah, that's why right. our characters had no limbs. Yes, I know. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. um, but that was the idea. And so our I'm because I love art. I think we all kind of nerd out over over drawings and paintings. And we were like, what what if we were to approach this in a way that you could pause any frame mm-hmm. of the thing and it would look like. The art of book, yeah, you know, that, yeah, yeah. You, that you buy after the movie's over, yeah. and they did. I I'm just, I think it's gorgeous, and yeah. so I, I can't wait to see the full thing. That's awesome. And you mentioned that that you can just go to YouTube and, and find that fifteen yeah, minute yeah, clip, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. and just Wing Feather Saga uh, yep. search and Wing YouTube. Feather Saga animated short. Awesome. And did you do any of the like storyboards or anything for that? Because I've seen on Instagram you share drawings that you do, and you're actually quite talented. Well, thank you. Um, I am not that kind of talented. <laughs> I, the, the guys who really do it, Aiden worked on it. My son is an animation student oh, who wow. actually took a class with you, Mike, recently. He Wait a minute. In, he was in Aiden, one of your, yeah, he Aiden. is. Aiden is in yeah. one. He's in he my. He loved st- it. Well, yeah. he, or is it, he still in it? He's still, still in it. Yeah, yeah. He's a, a screenwriting for animators. Yeah, yeah. And he's really good. I had no hey. idea he was your son. <laughs> That's my boy. Oh my goodness. Well, yeah. I'm gonna get on him today about not saying anything to me. <laughs> but no, he's a super bright kid, and we actually just did our first um, our first screenplay. Uh, they they, oh, they yeah. turned in their first screenplay. And That's awesome. He loves it. that class. He he said you were amazing in it. Oh, thank I'm not just buttering you up. But yeah, Aiden is. An, is a an excellent artist and he worked on the film the short film and uh and yeah i just i am not that kind of good i like to draw but i'm no artist how's that yeah well i draw stick men when i when i do storyboards so mm-hmm. you're way ahead of me well and i can i can relate too because after spending a, a career in animation you know i'm i'm woefully uh, <laughs> a woefully bad drawer <laughs> so well we're going to take a, a short break and we'll be right back with andrew peterson on the bible for kids podcast where is wisdom Where is Wisdom takes us on a creative tour through the beautiful truths found in Job 28. I don't know about you, but the book of Job can be a challenging read. Yet Scott James gets to the heart of the poem that Job 28 is. He so simply yet creatively shares the message that the greatest treasure is found in God and in the wisdom that he alone can provide, a truth that everyone needs to hear. Don't forget to remember... 
Ellie Holcomb's newest children's title, Don't Forget to Remember, is the perfect Easter gift for your kids this year. Teach them how to look around and find reminders of God's great love for them everywhere they go. And similar to her first book, Who Sang the First Song, Ellie has a song to go along with Don't Forget to Remember, which you'll enjoy singing as you flip through the beautiful pages of the book. Both the song and the book are available wherever music and books are sold. Okay, favorite listeners, we are always giving something away. Free books, yay! So to win, check out our instructions on Instagram and Facebook at The Bible for Kids. And just look for The Bible for Kids podcast at Google or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. So continuing to talk about the Wing Feather Saga, On the Edge of the Dark Sea of Darkness, which is a great title, by the way, and North or Be Eaten, which is also a great title, (laughs) are the first two books in the series that are being re-released. So tell us about the relaunch. Yeah. Well, this is like an author's dream come true. So the books came out. The first two books were with um, a publisher, Waterbrook, uh, which is a part of Random House. And then the second two books were published by Rabbit Room Press, which is a ministry that I'm a part of. Um, and the books did well enough that that um, Random House came around and said, hey, we want to give them a, a collector's edition, hardback relaunch, kind of fling them out broadly into the world. And yeah, so, you don't hear that very often. No. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Yeah, well, no. And then I, for, for you, you're talking about these epic fantasy series that you grew up on, you know, seeing the, the, those bound the editions. Of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's man. like, oh, I got to get a slipcase. That's awesome. <laughs> I know. And uh, Nicholas Cole, who actually worked on the the film, he was the art director for the, the short film. Uh-huh this amazing illustrator I asked him to do the covers. So the, yeah. there are these gorgeous new covers. I don't know. I, I, I feel like my, for most of these books, my goal has been, how, um, I'm pretty in touch with the 12 year old version of Andrew. Like yeah. I, yeah. I, I like asked myself while I was writing the books, like what would 12 year old Andrew most want to happen next? Yeah. You know, or be, most be surprised by. Yeah. And so, uh, that's the same thing's true of all the illustrations inside the new books and the covers. I'm like, well, as soon as I saw them, I was like, 12-year-old Andrew is very happy. <laughs> I would have just, like, clung to those books when I was a kid. So yeah. that's, like, yeah, having them come out in hardback, for goodness sake, and yeah. also with all new covers and illustrations is just a huge gift. So the goal is, like, uh, my like because we have this small army of passionate fans, um, we're hoping that they will help us launch it out into a whole new generation of kids. So Yeah. yeah. So, um, and I'm guessing when you first wrote these books, you talked about 12 year old Andrew. Um, but when you first started, you probably had kids in this age range yeah. as, as well. Um, and, and it's always a, 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 a useful thing <laughs> to have that. I know from experience. Definitely. So, um, so, uh, I, I think your kids are a little bit older, but can you tell this, uh, it can tell us how these books were received by your own kids and yeah. family as you were, as you were writing them? It was like one of my very favorite memories as a dad was getting to share these stories with the kids. And, and the, one of the great things about reading a, a work in progress to your kids is that it reminds you every time you do it, that, that you're not just writing a book, you're telling a story. Yeah. Like, and yeah. there is a subtle difference. Like writing a book is this like solitary, you're in a room yeah. wrestling this thing into being. Yeah. And it's easy to forget that there's an audience that you're always aiming the thing at. Yeah. And so getting to read them to my kids and like there were moments in, in the last uh, book, especially when my little kids would be, would say, I knew it, and it was a big <laughs> reveal, you know, or yeah, they yeah, would yeah. like jump up and cheer and yeah. I would cry every time. Oh my so goodness. It, it just moves me so much because I remember feeling that with, with a kid. And yeah. what I believe to be true uh, about the gospel is that, that all of those little moments are like 
Jesus calling to us, right? Yeah, the, the truth is revealed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh, the idea of these books kind of like getting flung broadly and yeah. having a chance to like reach more kids is just thrilling to me. So did you read them uh, as you were working on chapters? Did you read them or did you wait till it was, it was done and edited? Time. Yeah, yeah. It would be like yeah. until I got stuck. Yeah. And like halfway through a book, I'd be like, I don't know what happens next. And I'd read it to the kids. Yeah. And I, once I was telling the story, yeah. then, then it would kind of give me a runway to finish the story. So d- before you started a book, would you do sort of a um, an outline of the kind of the, the broad story points? Or did you kind of figure out the story as you went on? I, ha- I, would, I would write chapter synopses about mm-hmm. four or five chapters uh, at a time. Oh, okay. So I would write chapter one, this happens, chapter yeah. two, this happens. And then I'd kind of get into where things got hazy and I wasn't sure what was supposed to happen. Yeah. And then I'd go back and flesh out those chapters. And by the time I got to where I had planned, yeah, I then would stop and know enough to then plot out the next few chapters. That's yeah. very relieving to hear <laughs> <laughs> that you don't outline the whole thing. It's like, how am I supposed to know what happened? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I haven't gotten know. there yet. Yeah. Well, there, there were big reveals that I did know were going to come. Yeah. Like, three books later yeah um so i, I it's kind of like the way i've described it is like it's like you're going to disney world you know mm-hmm. where your destination is yeah but you you decide not to bring an atlas you're like we're just going to drive south yeah until we get there <laughs> yeah, you know yeah 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 and yeah. so that's kind of it i had this big thing at the end that i had in my mind and i had no idea how to get there yeah and it is so and i think that comes through in writing too because you know i think if you there's there's stuff if you're plotting everything out exactly beforehand it becomes a little bit too in the moment predictable you know but if you're making those discoveries along yeah. the way it's like you're discovering stuff oh, as it's, a writer it's as well wonderful and yeah. when that happens like as the author like it, people yeah. are surprised but I would have been surprised by that before I'd written the books but yeah the, the 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 author is as surprised as the reader is sometimes <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That's and awesome. that's when you're on to something yep so I think most people who know you are familiar with your association with the rabbit room and your mild obsession with Tolkien, Lewis, the Inklings. Um, so how much would you say they influence your writing? Obviously, you're writing fantasy novels, but are they just like a general inspiration? Are you as intentional as using some of their same elements or even some allusions to their works in your writing? How much mm. do they influence you? Um, I think it's more of a philosophical, yeah. theological influence. Um I don't, I, th- I think the, the wing feather books, um, lean more toward like the Tolkien philosophy of storytelling than the, than the Lewis philosophy of storytelling. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's exactly the phrase I mean, but like, you, you know, with the, the Narnia books were pretty overt, like it, some people read them and who weren't Christians and didn't realize that there was this beautiful gospel thing. Oh yeah. But it's a pretty, yeah. Lion, which yeah. in the wardrobe yeah, is a pretty on the nose yeah. metaphor. Yeah. 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 Um, and thank you for saying metaphor and not allegory. <laughs> public service announcement: the Narnia books are not allegories. They are not allegories. They're they're uh, something different. Google it; you can figure it out. Well, I, well, I am a uh, college professor. Yes, that's right. Um, but the but I really it's, it was it was really fun to me to kind of like the, the way Tolkien thought of it was that one of the ways that we bear out God's image is that we are sub creators. We are little creators. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so. Um, we, we can, we have the freedom as his children to speak new worlds into being, these imaginary worlds, and to tell the story that way, and to trust that the truth was going to out, yeah. right? And so I, um, I, it was really fun, you know, to sit down and write the Wingfeather Saga and go, I have some themes in mind. I really did have some ideas about, um, like, uh, our, my own discovery as a young man that I was beloved, Right. That I thought that I was kind of a waste of space 
that I was a nerd, that I would never fit in, that if people really knew me, they wouldn't like me. And then to discover there's this person named Jesus who, who is, who's called me his own, right. And knows me better than anybody else. And so I wanted the kids in my story to kind of go on a journey like that, um, where they thought that they were a waste of space. They didn't fit in, but then they discover that they are, um, that who they are is a bigger deal than they thought it was. Right. Um, but then as the story went on, there's this new creation thing, which is why the whole revelation 21 verse got me, got to me is because like, uh, I really wanted this story to wake up that same sense of expectation and longing that God is going to make all things new. Right? Yeah, yeah. So there are these broad themes that were in the story, but, but once again, I had no idea how to get there. So I just sat down and started writing the story that 12 year old Andrew wanted to read. <laughs> and I trusted that because the Holy spirit lives in me yeah. that it's up to him, uh, how that plays itself out. And so, uh, so that's my hope. That's why, you know, I think these books could live at Barnes and Noble on the shelf, you know, in the children's fantasy section, because there's no real overt Christianity in them. There's a maker with a capital M. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but people who are Christians, I think it would take five seconds for them to sniff out the fact that the author, um, believed in Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Andrew, so where can we find your books, records, touring information, all of the above? Yeah, um, if you just go to andrew-peterson.com, you can kind of find out all of those things and make sure that there's a dash or you'll go to the spy thriller novelist, Andrew Peterson, which is not <laughs> that, me. That's a surprise. <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious. He's, he, we've actually emailed back and forth with each other because okay. he gets emails from people yeah. saying, uh, I was really surprised by all the language in your books. <laughs> You're a Christian musician. <laughs> and I've gotten emails from people who like, I loved your spy thriller, dude. Uh, so it's, it's hilarious. So oh, please put goodness. the hyphen in there and you can find out what you need. Yeah, with a name like Mike Naraki, I don't have that yeah. problem. Yeah. <laughs> right. Amy Parker, there's another author, there's an illustrator, There are quite a few out there. But Andrew, thank you so much for joining us today and just giving us a peek into your world and the wing feather saga world. Um, And I'm guessing that we'll have some books to give away. So check out our socials or thebibleforkids.com to see how you and your kiddos can get a copy of the wing feather saga, the series. All right. Thanks for joining us today on the Bible for Kids podcast. Thanks for listening to the Bible for Kids podcast with Amy Parker and Mike Naraki. Be sure to connect with the Bible for Kids on Instagram and Facebook and at thebibleforkids.com. We'd love to hear your comments and ideas for future podcasts. You can email us info at thebibleforkids.com. The Bible for Kids podcast is part of the Way Nation podcast network. Find more podcasts at waynation.com.